Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 2 of X-Lapsed Point 1, or uh, Imperious Rex-Lapsed, if you will. We're going to continue our look into Namor the Submariner's Golden Age exploits. And, uh, well, we jump from Marvel Comics number 1 to Marvel Mystery Comics number 2. But before we get into the story, uh, in the event that this episode is a Patreon exclusive and you're listening to it, I would like to thank you so much for believing in this project, for believing in me, and for joining me in this X-Lapsed endeavor. If it's not a Patreon exclusive, then, um, well, just assume that I chickened out and disregard everything I said for the past 10 to 15 seconds. But, uh, in any event, I do thank you for joining me today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Marvel Mystery Comics number 2, December 1939 cover date. The story, uh, well, we're just going to call it The Submariner, because that's all it says on the, uh, top panel. It's by Bill Everett, with edits by Martin Goodman. The issue itself had a cover price of 10 cents. Now we pick up right where we left off last time. Uh, Namor has left Dorma to crash the airplane somewhere, and uh, he plunges into the drink below. He swims around for a bit, and he rises to the surface not too far out from New York City. As he approaches, he finds himself caught in something of an undertow. Now the Submariner is getting his first taste of the sewer as he's sucked into the pipes. He manages to catch himself inside the pipes, and he busts his way out, winding up right inside a power plant. Now, the burst of water sends him flying up into the rafters. Now, some of the workers notice, you know, the explosion, of course, and the weird man sitting in the girders, and they call out to him. Namor gets up, and, uh, well, he steps on some live wires. He assumes that the workers were responsible for the shock he just felt, and so he starts tearing the place apart beam by beam hurling each one at the men below. Which, I mean, those beams, they're, they're there for a reason, right? I mean, they're probably there to support the roof because, uh, well, without them, that roof might just come tumbling down. And in fact, it does. But before it does, Namor throws himself through a nearby window. Outside, he flies over Central Park, and he spots a small pond. And so he takes a dip. Now, apparently this was a no-swim zone because one of New York's finest starts blowing his whistle at our hero. When Namor doesn't respond, well, um, hmm, the officer pulls out his piece and starts firing away, so they really didn't mess around back in the Golden Age. Now, this officer's gun is a thirty-eight, but the bullets are ricocheting off the surface of the water. Is that a thing? I mean, no, no joke here. I, I don't know anything about guns, but I wouldn't imagine that bullets would skip on the water like a stone. I, I probably wouldn't bet my money either way, but... I don't know, this just seems weird. Anyway, these shots make Namor curious, and so he snatches one out of the air. He kind of gives it the once-over, and he wonders what harm it could possibly ever do to him. By now, the cop has gotten into a rowboat and is approaching. I mean, this is nighttime, and there's a rowboat in a pond, and oh, okay. And so our hero swims up and tips the boat over before leaping out of the drink himself. Now, he jumps all the way from Central Park to the East River, from there, he enters a sewer pipe and happens across a tramp, as in the hobo variety, of course. Now, this vagrant's got a bright red nose, so we can probably guess what he's been up to of late. Anyway, he's keen on making friends with our wing-footed hero, but Namor ain't got no time for that. And instead, he demands that the tramp strip. Thankfully, we don't see this scene play out. Anyway, next we see Namor. He's clad in some disgusting clothes that he just stole from a tramp, and he's exiting the sewer via a manhole. Now, he runs down a side street to a house. Don't know why he picked this house in particular, but he did. 
Uh, the doorman of this house mistakes Namor for one of the help and tells him he's got to enter in the rear. Namor ain't got no time for that. Just then, a beautiful woman comes down a flight of stairs and tells the doorman, whose name is Pinkerton, of course, to let the strange man in the foul-smelling outfit inside. Now, here's the thing. This woman is smoking one of those fancy cigarettes, like, on a holder, you know, like we used to see back in, like, old movies, like a long stick with a cigarette on the end of it. But she's holding it down by her dress, which must be made out of uh, something very, very flammable because she immediately catches on fire. And I'm not talking about just getting singed. She, there's like a literal inferno in her dress And I know I know Namor has that effect on some women But this is, uh, this is different Now Namor himself has never seen fire before And so he lunges to save her He grabs her and exhibits quite the bizarre power indeed And um, I'm not quite sure how to explain this So I will let the writing do it for me Quote The heat brings forth stored-up water in his system, and his entire body acts as a, quote, sprinkler. Water spurts from his pores and drenches both himself and the unconscious girl. So, uh, never let it be said that Namor wouldn't pee on you if you were on fire, because apparently it's not something he can control. He's just going to emit water at you. So yeah, that, that just happened. Now, our hero then places the girl on a couch and commands Pinkerton to call for a doctor. But then he leaves because he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to be wrapped up in any of this. But once outside, our hero just can't quite shake that girl, that beautiful girl. He really wants her, you see. Now, as the ambulance pulls away with her, Namor leaps onto the top of it and carries it all the way to the hospital. At least I think that's what's going on here. Uh, like, the wheels are off the ground. Uh, whatever the case, though, the EMTs don't seem to realize it. I don't know if this is something that's lost in the art or if it's just me. Whatever the case, Namor's on top of this damn thing and they're at the hospital. Now, once at the hospital, Namor, who's now clad in a blanket, enters and threatens to kill everyone in the building that dare get in his way, or even dare speak. One orderly replies with, hey, and gets punched in the face, so Namor is not screwing around here. He then ties up the med staff and reclaims his uh, still-unconscious new lady love. He intends to take her to live with him underwater. So yeah, Namor isn't too bright when it comes to things like humans' propensity to drown if they remain underwater for too long. In any event, Namor leaps all the way to the southern tip of Manhattan at Battery Park. Once there, he readies to hop into the drink with his unconscious quarry. Several officers arrive, and, uh, well, they open fire, of course. And, as imagined, the bullets don't do jack. The narration describes Namor's skin as being, quote, alligator tough. So is that to say alligators are bulletproof? Well, a quick Google search tells me no, no. And the fact that it auto-filled it for me makes me realize that I'm not the first person to ask this question. Namor then throws a car at the cops, which kills all but two of them. Now with his pursuers out of the way, Namor grabs the gal and hops in the drink. The two remaining officers hop in after him. Now once Namor realizes this, he lets go of the girl and gets to fighting. And he kills one of the cops, but the other manages to rescue the girl. Namor then vanishes into the deep, and that is where we leave it. So let's talk about this one a little bit. Um, facing like this weird disconnect here. I mean, these Golden Age stories, they are very, very brutal. They're very violent. But at the same time, there's this odd innocence to them. Like, <laughs> there's not much subtlety. Everything is very matter-of-fact. I mean, Namor's killing people left and right. A woman sets herself on fire with a cigarette. <laughs> there's, 
there's a weird innocence to this that um, kind of tempers the brutality of it. it uh, I guess maybe that's the difference between violence and cartoon violence. <laughs> this just feels not quite Tom and Jerry, but also not quite slasher film. And if you ask me, it's like a perfect mix because it's just so different from really anything I've read. I, like I mentioned uh, during the first episode, the Golden Age is a huge blind spot for me. I've read bits and bobs of Golden Age stuff, basically just the stuff that you're supposed to read as, as fake-ass comics historians. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that I first read Action Comics number one. And if anybody out there has read Action Comics number one besides the Superman feature... It ain't great. <laughs> it's not good at all. And I remember thinking around that time, it's like, maybe I should try reading Marvel Comics number one. And after reading Action Comics number one, I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm not going to subject myself to that. And in fact, the Namor story we covered last episode is the only story in Marvel Comics number one that I've ever read. Maybe I'll read the rest of it somewhere down the line, but I tell you, it's not a priority. Though perhaps as we make our way through these Namor stories and he starts crossing paths with characters like the Human Torch, maybe then I'll want to go back. I don't see that being something we'll ever cover on the air, at least at great length, but you never know. You never know. I might mention a few things here and there. So back to the story. It was very, very unsubtle. It was very violent, um, almost cartoonishly so. But here's a little bit more of the conflict that I'm facing here. Because, I mean, we're looking at a book, or a feature, from 1939 that stars a villain. That's something we don't really even get these days. And here we are, back at the dawn of everything, and we're being, this strip's being headlined by, from all accounts, a bad guy. A villain. He's very much in villain mode here. He's not here to make friends. That there is a level of depth that I was not expecting. Coming into this story So like I said It's a weird dissonance here It's On one hand It's very very It is what it is You know It's very in your face But on the other hand There's this odd depth to it That we're actually Following for And perhaps even rooting for A villain That's pretty crazy Let's talk about An enduring quality of Namor's That we first see here And that's his weakness For pretty women Of course we've seen Namor fall for woman after woman uh, Most notably You know Sue Storm In the early Fantastic Four days And probably even till today He harbors some sort of feelings Or attraction to her But uh, here With the woman Who (laughs) burnt herself With a cigarette It actually takes Namor Off task Right He I don't know why he picked this house, but he did. Uh, the woman catches fire. He he gets the fire out with his uh, with his wetness and uh, goes along his merry way. But he can't pull himself away from this woman. He is so preoccupied by this woman's beauty that his war with the white race is uh, is kind of taken off track for a bit. So he can go and hold up a hospital and take this woman back with him to, uh, I suppose we'll call it Notlantis for now. I really, really dig that, especially since, I mean, that's something that still happens with Namor. And here we are seeing it the very first time in a book from almost a century ago. So that's really, really cool. And I, I love the fact that that's actually remained part of his character. But I think that's about all I have to say about this uh, about this feature. I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. I know I'm getting quite the education in doing this here. Like I mentioned a few times by now, the Golden Age is a blind spot for me. And uh, Golden Age Marvel especially. Uh, I think uh, 
out of all my golden age uh, dalliances, uh, it's been mostly national DC and not timely Marvel. So this is a lot of fun. And granted, this is before they decided. This is long before they decided Namor was a mutant. This is still very, very seminal in the mutant story and in just the foundation of the Marvel universe at large. But history aside, it's just fun to read. It's so different from anything that we're reading on any of the other shows, or anything that I might be able to squeeze in for fun reading. This is just totally different, and I'm having a really good time with it, and I hope you are as well. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. If it's your first time reading these stories, or if you're revisiting them for the first time in a while, definitely let me know your thoughts. You can find me several different ways. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter. You can shoot me an email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90sXmen. The entire archives can be found at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all those sound applications. And again, in the event that this is a Patreon program, you can find the Patreon at patreon.com slash xlapsed. And wait a second, wait a second, I forgot something here. This was part of Marvel Mystery Comics number two, so I should probably at least mention the other features in this issue, right? I'll get this, I'll get this format down soon enough, I promise. Uh, also appearing in Marvel Mystery Comics number two is The Human Torch by Carl Burgos, The Angel by Paul Gustafson, The Mass Raider by Al Anders, American Ace, who did first appear in Motion Picture Funnies by Paul Loretta, and uh, American Ace is Perry Webb, and he appeared like thrice since the Golden Age. We got the Deathbird Squadron, not that Deathbird, by David C. Cook and Chuck Mazojuin? Mazojuin? I don't know. Uh, this is a text story starring the angel fighting some Nazis. And uh, you know how we feel about text stories here at this channel. We generally just skip them. And uh, even just reading the title of it was kind of boring. Uh, and also we wrap up with The Adventures of Kazar the Great by Ben Thompson. So with all that said, I think we're done here for today. I would like to thank you all so much for spending some time with me today and for all of your support. Again, I'm doing these ahead of time, so I can't name names just yet, but uh, rest assured that I will once there are some names to name. So thank you all again, and until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.